We're going to be in James 3 today. We're kind of walking through the book of James, and uh, the reason we love James, I think, is because it's really practical. He deals with stuff that we deal with. He deals with stuff evidently they needed 2,000 years ago, and we need it today as well. And so today we're going to talk about how to, how to play nice with others, um, how to get along in life. And so I'm going to start with a story. It's an old story. You probably already heard it, but um, it's an oldie but a goodie. And if you haven't heard it, it's funny thing about old stories. I tell them sometimes, and I'm thinking, everybody already knows this, and then people still laugh. So you either really liked it or you hadn't heard it before. So this one is kind of old, but it's an oldie but a goodie. There was a husband and wife, they went to, um, the, to the doctor. By, by the way, I went to the doctor this week uh, to get some blood work done, so I'm not sick. Do you notice that there are a lot of sick people at the doctor's office? I mean, really, it's like, like I'm, I'm, it's like a Petri dish. It's really horrible. Everybody was coughing. It was like, ah, the whole time I'm thinking I'm going to get sick. Anyway, um, they go to the doctor's office. He's not been feeling well, and so uh, he goes back to the doctor and is diagnosed. And oddly enough, when it was time for the uh, diagnosis, uh, the doctor only wants to speak to the wife. Wife goes back to consultation, and the doctor says, your husband has a very rare, very severe stress disorder, which can be lethal. If he is, reaches a certain level of stress, um, it could kill him. It's, it's really, really, it's, it's uncommon, but it's really uh, problematic. And she's very worried about it, and she said, okay, well, you know, what, what's, do, are we doing, does he take pills, or what does he need to do? Does he need to, you know, go work out? I mean, what, 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 what's the deal? The doctor says, well, here's the thing. His recovery really is all dependent on how you treat him. So, in, in the morning, you get up, and you make him a great breakfast, and at lunch, you make him a great lunch, and at dinner, you make him a great dinner, and and you cook and clean, and you don't ask him to do any chores, and you don't nag, and you don't ask anything. And you're, you have to be available to him romantically anytime he wants. Basically, it's, it, you do everything he says, and you've got to create an environment where there's no stress. If he has any stress, anything, it could kill him. And she says, okay. He said, do you understand? Yes. Do you understand how severe this is? I understand. So they walk to the car, and the husband says, what, what did he say? And the, the wife says, he said, you're going to die. Uh, so, <laughs> oldie but goodie. Okay, so here's the deal. The fact is, a lot of our problems are relationship problems. And again, I love the book of James because he just sort of hits this stuff right between the eyes. And, and the truth of the matter is, difficult relationships make life difficult, uh, I can have a difficult relationship at home, and it sort of impacts m my work life. Or I can have a difficult relationship at work, and it seems like when I come home, I take it out on my family. And so we, we have to figure out what to do with difficult people. And so James, this is sort of the last verse in our group today. We're going to kind of start at the end, and then go back to the top, and then we're going to end at the end. But he, he this is sort of key. Uh, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. And we know this intuitively. We understand that if I want peace, I have to plant seeds of peace. I get it. It's logical. I just don't always do it. And so it's not a matter of, of knowing, it's a matter of doing a lot of times. And so um, I, I go someplace and the service is bad. Let's say I go to a restaurant and the service is bad. I choose my reaction. I can sow seeds of discontentment or anger or snarkiness, I, I, can sow, I get to sow whatever seed I want. 
I choose that. I don't choose the harvest because the seeds I plant, that's the harvest I receive. And so that's what James is saying. He said, you can plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. It's up to you. And it's really good for us to remember this because I don't always think I remember it. And I love the word picture that he uses here. Whatever seed you plant, that's what you're going you're gonna to reap. Just kind of how it works. And, and Jesus talks about it and Paul talks about it. I mean, it's like in the, throughout the New Testament, whatever you sow, that's what you reap. And so James is saying, hey, if you want to have good relationships, you have to sow seeds of peace into relationships. All right, let's go back to the beginning. This is, this is the verse that we're going to start with. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So if James were to show up today and he were to say, how many of you think you're wise? And you raise your hand, he would say, okay, uh, show me. How, how do you show it? Because basically this verse is saying talk is cheap. You can say you're wise, but if you don't show you're wise... How you get along with others is really your indicator of how wise you are. You might think you're really, really wise, but if you're not getting along with people, you really, really aren't wise. And, and so he, he's saying uh, playing nice with others is, is a lifestyle issue. It, it's something that, it's not, again, it's not just what I know, it's what I do. And so, again, let's go back to my illustration about uh, having bad service. I, I know that I should probably be nice here, but they're, they're not serving me well, and it's not the way I want it to be. And you know, For me, I'll give you an illustration. Um, uh, I order my um, hamburgers without cheese. I don't want cheese on anything. I order everything without cheese. If I go to a Mexican restaurant, people will say, how do you order Mexican without cheese? Uh, it's just really easy. Um, um, so if they bring my plate back, Let's say, all right, I know it's, I know it's kind of it's, it's getting to be lunchtime. Um, I order two enchiladas, beans and rifalitos, and rice, right? And they bring my plate, and there's cheese on it. Now, I choose my reaction. I can get upset. I can freak out. What I choose to do is I say, Miriam, tell them to take that back. Uh, because... Um, <laughs> I don't want to do it. Um, no, I, I, sometimes I've had to do this on occasion. I'll say, you know, I ordered that without cheese. Uh, the worst thing for, about the cheese deal is sometimes it won't say cheese on it, like in the description, and they bring it and it has cheese. I hate that because I would order it without cheese, except it didn't say that. I ordered, listen to this. This is in Michigan. Those people. I ordered a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. You all know what on a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich? What? That's right. Does it have cheese on it? Is there a C anywhere in a BLT? I don't think so. They brought me a BLT C. It's like, I don't want cheese on this. So how? I, but my response is up to me. I choose my response. And that's why he's saying it. Uh, I, part of it is I have to, to show humility. Look, they, they got it wrong. P people make mistakes. Are we going to be merciful or not? People sometimes make mistakes. Okay, so... The word humility here is the Greek word praus, P-R-A-U-S, I think. P-R-A-U-S, praus. Now, sometimes it's translated, in fact, most often it's translated meekness. And Jesus talks about being meek. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. The problem with the word meek is in the English language, it has sort of a wimpy connotation. In fact, let me show you the definition in Webster's. 
Uh, meekness is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. That's nice, but look at this other couple. Deficient in spirit and courage. <laughs> Good grief. Not violent or strong. And when I read that definition, I think of Pee Wee Herman. I was like, <laughs> it's very, it's very wimpy-ish, you know, very Pee Wee-ish. I've preached 25 years, my first picture of Pee Wee ever, ever. So once you know, I know, I know. I've been trying to figure out how to get Pee Wee in a sermon, and now I have. So I really feel good about it. All right, so. Uh, brother's got to have ambition. Now I don't know what I'm going to do. The, the word prouse actually means uh, war horse, uh, strength under control. The idea is... If you have a horse and you enter battle, you have a distinct advantage. You can, be, you, you can advance more quickly. You can retreat more quickly. Um, you're higher. I mean, the stance is you're, you're looking down on people. There's a distinct advantage to having a war horse. And when the word prowse is used, when it says meekness, it doesn't mean wimpiness. It means strength under control. A war horse was designed and, and is trained to stay in the midst of, of battle all around. It stays until it's told not to stay. It's strength, it's power, but it's harnessed power. And, and Jesus sort of had this kind of, of strength. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. And, and Jesus' meekness... There was a submissiveness toward God and a gentleness toward people. So Jesus is incredibly powerful. You, look, you read his life. He feeds 5,000 people. He, he heals the sick. He raises the dead. I mean, he does amazing things. He does amazing things. Yet when he needed to confront, he certainly wasn't wimpy. He didn't shrink back from confrontation. In fact, we read about him fashioning a whip and driving out money changers from the temple. Certainly not wimpy. Uh, money changers typically <laughs> didn't want to be removed from their money. And, and there were people, and they were, they were ripping people off. That's the whole deal. They were ripping people off. And Jesus went er over there and, and, and throws over the tables, and he, he, makes, he makes a scene. Well, it's not wimpy. In fact, it's powerful. Uh, when Jesus was... was um, Dealing with the Pharisees and the religious elites. And the religious elites were putting everybody else down. And, and Jesus said, he, he called them a brood of vipers. I mean, when you're called a brood of vipers, does that, I mean, that's not friendly. I don't know what brood means, but I'm pretty sure it's not friendly. And when he says there are whitewashed tombs, I mean, really, seriously. He, he certainly wasn't friendly with his words to certain people. Now, it doesn't mean weakness. It means humility. And, and in Jesus' time, in the first century, in James' time, there were a couple of groups of people who thought they knew more than everybody else. They, were, they acted like they were smarter than everybody else. One group called the Gnostics. They believed that it was all about knowledge. The more knowledge you had, the smarter you were, the closer you were to God. And the, the, um, Paul talks a lot, of, kind of deals with them a lot. But they're just jerks. They're punks. And sometimes they had to be confronted. Then you had Jewish people, and they thought you had to be a Jew before you could be right with God. And, and, and the New Testament deals with a lot of people who think they're smarter than somebody else. And you're going to deal with people who think they're smarter than you. The Bible is consistent in the message. He guides God, guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. Uh, humility isn't weakness. It's simply 
con- consenting to, to, um, to listen and to do things the right way. And then James goes on to explain it. So let's look at the next couple of verses. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast. By the way, selfish ambition here, time out just for a second. That word in the Greek literally means to steal an election. (laughs) It's kind of funny to me. Um, uh, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it and don't deny the truth. So, here I am and the order isn't right. Let's go back to that illustration just for a second. The order wasn't right. I control how I respond. I'm in charge of me. I control that response. Now, what the reason I get aggravated is something this isn't the way I want it. It's very selfish, frankly. I don't know what this server's been, you know, what they're going through. Maybe they can't make rents. Maybe they, they're a student and they made a bad grade on a test. Perhaps they, they're not well. Maybe they have a grandfather who just died. I mean, I don't know. You don't know their story. So maybe they're just preoccupied with something else. Maybe they're just a jerk. I mean, who knows? I don't know that, but I can't assume anything because I don't know. And, and that's, he's saying, listen, it's not all about you. <laughs> and then he goes on. Such wisdom does not come, and I like that it's in quotes, with air quotes. Uh, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. And then he uses a word I would hardly ever use, demonic. It, it's like not from God. This idea that it's all about you, that's not from God. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice and lots of trouble. And if you bring, if you bring selfish ambition and envy into relationship, you're going to have troubles. Now, he talks about worldly wisdom, wisdom as opposed to the way God sees things. There's a way the world sees things and the way God sees things. And so I, I just sort of came up with some off the top of my head. Do unto others, this is worldly wisdom, do unto others before they do it unto you. You, you know, get yours, you're first, go to the front of the line, make sure you get yours whether anybody else gets theirs or not. If it feels good, do it. Well, never deny yourself. That's worldly wisdom. It's certainly not godly wisdom. Buy now, pay later. That's, that's not godly wisdom. You don't have to save, you should just get it now. Well, that's not godly wisdom. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The most disingenuous, untrue slogan ever written. Because there are consequences to poor behavior. And I don't care. There's like, it's, it's, so, it's just a stupid slogan. We ought to sue them. That's false advertising. Let's all go to Vegas, do wild things, and just assume that there's nothing going to happen. Because that's dumb. That's just really dumb. Choose the path of least resistance. Sometimes God says, this path is going to be difficult. The world says, never choose the difficult path. Let them, never let them see you sweat. That, that's the whole, don't be vulnerable. Never tell anybody, never let anybody get into your life. Follow your heart. The dumbest Disney line ever. Just follow your heart. Well, what if your heart is stupid? Seriously, I mean, have your, has your heart ever led you to the wrong place? The Bible says the heart is deceptive above all things. It, the, heart, <laughs> the heart isn't that smart, right? And then more, if, the more I have, the more, the more important I am, the more happy I am. More happy, is that right? Yeah, the, the more happiness I have. Um, that's the idea around all this stuff. Now, listen, the, the reason we have a tendency 
to gravitate toward worldly wisdom is because we have something called a sin nature. It talks about it in, in Romans. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. You never have to teach a child to, to be selfish. We've never instructed. I've got four daughters. I've never had to instruct one of my kids to say, I've never had to say, honey, you, don't, you, you take her toy. Just take it. Right? I never have to teach them that stuff. Because we are born with something called a sin nature. And, and it just is what it is. Now, little babies, little babies are so sweet. We love them. We ooh, we coo. We want to hold them. You want to know when you don't want to hold a kid? When they're two. They might bite you. I mean, you know, I don't know. They're, because all of a sudden, the sin nature starts. There's a reason they call it the terrible twos instead of the terrific twos. It's because now all of a sudden, they're starting to say no and mine, and they're being selfish. You don't have to teach them selfishness. This is a guy by the name of Alan DeBotten. He is an atheist, lives in England, and he writes about the whole idea of sin nature. And he talks about how it makes a lot of sense. Even atheists see it. He, he talks about it in a book, and he writes about it makes sense because if we entered relationships and we were both perfect, then it would work out perfectly. However, it's not relationships are rarely perfect. And he said, now, just think about it. The, the idea of a sin nature is appealing to me, he says, because if I enter a relationship with somebody knowing they're broken and they need forgiveness, that is a whole lot better place to start. I mean, as we say in Kentucky, he ain't wrong. That makes sense, right? It just makes sense. So how do I get away from worldly wisdom? Well, I become a new creature. And in 2 Corinthians it says, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. And when we baptize, often we'll say words like, buried with Jesus in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. There's a me before me, and then I'm buried, and, and now there's a me before Jesus, and I'm buried, and now I'm new again. I, I become a new creation where I don't have to do the stuff that I used to do. And so James continues. He says, all right, if you want to have, we saw a list of sort of worldly wisdom stuff. If you want to have godly wisdom, this is what it looks like. And he kind of gives a list. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Let's talk about it. Let's break them down. Godly wisdom maintains integrity. First of all, it is pure. Now, integrity is, in relationships, they're built on trust. Uh, relationships are built on respect. Um, I, I read a, a really, really cool story about a, guy, a lady named Rebecca Sabsky. She is the admissions director at Dartmouth College. And it's an Ivy League school, and you can imagine everybody goes there as an egghead, and so they all have great grades, and they all have... You know, um, they've all, you know, uh, flown to Mars. I mean, everybody's, they've all done stuff, right? They, they started nonprofits and they do lots of extracurriculars. And everybody that applies is really, really sharp. And so, you know this, when, if you've ever looked at resumes trying to fill a position, you're always looking for people to eliminate or people to, to put in the yes file. You, you kind of have to, you have to have some line of demarcation. These people are yes, these people are no. And you have a criteria in mind of, hey, you know, this is, I'm looking for this certain age, or I'm looking for this, uh, this education level, that sort of thing. When, when I was first starting out in ministry, my first church was in Bergen, Kentucky. And um, 
I was the pastor there, and the guy before me, about three guys before me, became a really big wig in the Southern Baptist Convention. Kind of a, a big deal. And I met him once. <laughs> once. And so I was writing a resume out, and I was uh, seeking another job. And, and I, I called him, and I said, can I, can I put you on my resume? Because he's really important. <laughs> and he said, no. I don't even know you. I mean, I mean, we met once. It's like, well, okay, how many times do you have to meet? Well, see... I was looking at this from, from the perspective of if I had his name on my resume, that would really, really look good. Okay, so Ms. Sabsky talks about a young man who submits an application for Dartmouth, and this is what she writes. Letters of recommendation are typically written by people who the applicant thinks will impress the school. But this young man had a different kind of letter. He had a letter in his file from, a, from the custodian of his school who wrote to, uh, to, to support the, the candidacy uh, of this student because of his thoughtfulness. This young man was the only person in the school who knew the names of every member of the janitorial staff. He turned off lights in empty rooms, consistently thanked the hallway monitor each morning, and tidied up after his peers, even if nobody was watching. This student, the custodian wrote, had a refreshing respect for every person in the school, regardless of position, popularity, or clout. That's what it means to walk in integrity. You do the right thing whether anybody's watching or not. And that guy got in, by the way, unanimous vote, because it wasn't important, somebody important in the world's eyes that recommended him, but it was somebody that the world might see as unimportant, but he saw everybody as important. So let's go back to my illustration of the, the, the server who doesn't take my order well. That person is really important to God. In fact, as important as, as I am to God. They're important. And when I remember, when I have in my mind this concept of, okay, um, I'm supposed to, as the Bible says, be kind and compassionate to people, then whether they serve me well or not, that doesn't say whether they serve you well or not. It just says be kind and compassionate to one another. And so number one, uh, I have to be a pure heart. The, the second thing he talks about here is we won't antagonize others. The wisdom that comes from heaven is peace-loving. And, and look at this verse in Proverbs. It is honorable to refrain from strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. So um, in, in this regard, we avoid condemning. You know, you always, you never, why didn't you? Or we avoid comparisons. Why can't you be more like? Why aren't you more like? Or uh, I wish you were more like your sister, or that sort of thing. I heard a story about a pastor. He had just done a funeral. He was walking in the graveyard, and, and he was walking back to his car. And as he had finished the funeral, he was walking back to his car. He sees a guy, sort of, this guy's distraught. And he keeps saying over and over, why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? And the pastor hears him and with a pastor's heart, he kind of walks over and just sort of stands by the guy. And the guy, he's just lost in, in his grief. And he notices the headstone, and the headstone has the name of a man on there. And, and when the guy finally sort of catches his breath from saying, why did you have to die so many times? The pastor sort of leaned into him and said, was this your son? Is that why you have such grief? And the man said, no. Was this your, your dad? No. Close friend? No. Well... Who has died here that has caused you such grief? And he said, well, it's my, husband, my, my wife's first husband. Think about it. It's really funny. Why did you have to die? See, get the first service got that. I, I don't know. You all just not nearly as sharp. It's okay. That's okay. 
Do you get it now? Did I mess it up? I messed it up. Maybe it's me. The secret of wisdom is knowing what to overlook. Not everything is important. It's really not. Not everything is important. This morning, Dwayne came in. Dwayne is a Duke Blue Devil fan. We all know that. We love him anyway. Uh, part of, of, of loving somebody is, is overlooking their faults. And, uh, and we love Dwayne. And I did mention, I asked him, do you like my shirt? Because it's the color of North Carolina. I, you know, uh, who defeated Duke for the second time just yesterday. But I, that's not what I meant. I, asked him, I was asking if he liked the style, not really the color. I mean, he assumed I was trying to be antagonistic. You know, well, you know, that's not, that's not, my, that's not my heart, bro. Uh, you know, uh, that's, not, that's not who I am. It's not about me. So, I don't compromise my integrity. I don't antagonize you to anger. I don't minimize your feelings. I'm considerate. <laughs> Look at this verse in Proverbs. Kind words bring life. Cruel words crush your spirit. Have you ever played at your family, your, your, at, at your house, the my day is worse than your day game? So the husband comes home or the wife comes home. and Let's say the wife comes home and she says, um, I had the worst day ever. The tra- I was on Woodruff Road. The traffic is what, you know, it's horrible. And I, I got to the office and the boss was, was mean and, and he was angry. And then the air conditioning didn't work or the heat didn't work. I mean, just... Four or five things, and, and he says, well, you think you had a bad day. I picked the kids up at the sitter, and Jimmy had stuck uh, Cheetos up his nose, and, and uh, uh, Sally had tried to baptize a cat, you know. And, and she says, well, you think that's bad. I went to the stylist, and I w- told her I wanted to look like a star, and she gave me a mullet and told me I looked like Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, it's like, uh, you've you, you, you played that game, right? It's like, your day is worse than my day. H- here's the deal. It's okay if your days both are bad. I mean, it doesn't have to be worse. It's not a competition, really. It's not a competition. Part of being considerate, part of of life-giving words is saying, you did have a bad day. Um, Listen to my day. It was kind of bad, too. Let's get pizza. Really, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Just be considerate. Now, this fourth one is really good. Godly wisdom is willing to listen and learn, and it says is submissive. The word here, we find the word English word submissive in the Bible several times, but this particular word is only used one time right here. And, and it's talking about a willingness to learn something new, really. A, a willingness to, to listen, to learn, to, to gain a different perspective. And, and a wise person... We live in a world where we're really oversensitive about stuff. If you complain or you comment, man, I, I, I'm beginning to hate social media, frankly. Because people can be anonymous and they can just say really mean things. Just really mean things. And I'll kind of follow a, a, a thread and I'm like, good grief. Why would you, why would you say that? Well, you say that because you're anonymous and you really don't know the person you're talking about. And, and I see people do that all the time. It's just really, really not very nice. Well, I heard about a pastor, and it was, he was in an old school church, and like where you stand at the back door and shake everybody's hand on the way out, and, and this, this guy came up and he said, Pastor, that, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. Now, I've been a pastor before, and I've had people say stuff like that to me before, and so you have a tendency to kind of bow up a little bit, get mad, and it's like he was trying to be calm, he's trying to be submissive, right? He's trying to learn. We said, well, okay, well, tell, me, tell me why you thought it was bad. And he said, well, first of all, you read it. Second of all, you read it poorly. Third of all, it wasn't worth reading. Which is harsh, right? 
And he steps off, and the next guy came up, and he said, Jimmy didn't mean all that. He's just repeating what he hears other people say. So you don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. The way of fools seems right to them. The wise listen to advice. There, there are lots of ways to gain wisdom. I, um, one of the things I started to do last year was listen to more books, audio books. And I read and listen to books. I, my goal last year was 50 books, and I think I read 56 or something like that. My goal this year is, again, 50. But I don't just always read Christian stuff. Um, I read a book about the Wright brothers uh, in airplanes. Really super interesting. Um, I read a book called The Four by a guy named Galloway, certainly not a Christian. In fact, the language isn't always great. But he talks about the influence of Amazon and Facebook and um, Amazon, the big four, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Google. It was super interesting. It was really, really interesting. Look, I, I believe all wisdom is God's wisdom, and you can learn from lots of different places. And so I listen to things. You know, I heard, I heard somebody say one time, um, when, when you're in an environment of learning, uh, it's like eating fish. You eat the meat and you throw away the bone. Not everything is wise, but some of it is wise, and you can learn from lots of different places. And so what, what James was saying is just be open to learn something new. It's okay to be open. Be merciful. The wisdom that comes from heaven is full of mercy. Full of mercy. You don't have to jump on somebody just because they make a mistake. I don't have to jump on them because they put cheese on my food that I asked not to. Sometimes I don't even send it back. I just scrape the cheese off. Because really, if I send it back, they might spit in it. Uh, so uh, I'm just kind of thinking, maybe it's not that bad, right? Uh, in Proverbs it says, He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or harps on a matter separates even close friends. Don't, don't keep... Digging it up, don't keep rubbing it in, just rub it out, just sort of get rid of it. You, you don't have to make a big deal, not everything is a big deal. Don't make a big deal out of everything. There's stuff you just need to overlook. Finally, godly wisdom is truthful. It's impartial and sincere. The word there, um, impartial and sincere, um, really is from a Greek word that, that means um, hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. And in, in the Greek world, I, these are just creep me out. Uh, in the Greek world, when, when they had theater, there would be one guy who would play several parts, and he would just wear a mask and play different roles. It was kind of interesting how they did that. And what James is basically saying is, don't wear masks around people. Man, church is one of the worst places in the world because we all kind of want to put on like we're doing okay. It's okay to not be okay. The, the church is full of flawed people. Uh, present company included. We're all kind of messed up. And so we have to remember we're all kind of messed up. James, one James, uh, First James says, uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. One of the places uh, where you see um, uh, deception about yourself most is online dating sites. And I, I read an article this week um, Top five things people embellish on online dating. Their height, their weight, their physique, their age, and their income. You have to learn, read between the lines. So if you're a lady and you read this guy's profile and he says, I've had the same job for 15 years, read into that, uh, I was cleaning dishes in the prison cafeteria. Uh, you know, maybe he, uh, uh, maybe he couldn't change jobs. You know, it's that kind of thing. See, the, the deal is, 
If I'm wise, I won't disguise. I don't want to disguise who I am. I, I won't try to put on something. I won't, I, I'm just, just be who you are. And so James gives us this test, and he says, are you these things? Do I compromise my integrity? Do I antagonize people? Do I minimize their feelings? Am I willing to listen and learn? Am I willing to overlook an offense? Do I have to get upset about everything? Do I try to disguise my weaknesses? Do I put on a front? Do I act like I'm something I'm not? Because again, this is our verse and we're going to end with it. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. So this week, we get the opportunity. We have the chance. We make the choice to, to plant seeds of peace or not. Your choice. My choice. Father, we thank you for words of wisdom from the book of James. It is amazing to us that something that he wrote 2,000 years ago applies to our lives today, and it's just incredibly relevant. Lord, help us to plant seeds of peace and not strife and not discord. and Help us to get along with people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.